Welcome to our Agile Tales, where we share the various successes and trials we have encountered as we navigate corporate levels and political waters to transform the business to be adaptable to this forever changing world. Today, we and our friends in the UK will explore the reasons for senior management's resistance. Now that we have both the US and the UK viewpoints, I wonder if the underlying reasons behind the resistance are actually ubiquitous or if the problems are divergent across the pond with our friends, obviously, in the States. So let's invite back our hosts, JF and Munway, to actually have a discussion. Hey, guys. Hey, so thank you, Giles. Hey, you know, after listening to the examples from the US and the UK, it seems to me that most of the examples show that senior management are chasing politically motivated outcomes, you know, power, status, and empire building. It seems that all come from pride and ego, regardless of ethnicity, nationality, or geography. Now, if we dive deeper into the politically motivated outcomes, we may realize that some of them pursue those because that's what they're conditioned to do. You know, that's what they have seen their predecessors did. That's what they have been taught in school, that they are to focus on competition instead of collaboration. They may say the enemy is out there, not within the company, so stop fighting among ourselves. But they don't know how, and they are uncomfortable to admit they don't know everything. You see, they get promoted by what they know, and they do not want to look like an idiot. Now, unfortunately, I've also seen incompetent senior management get their promotions by playing politics well. They're afraid that people would find out they're not competent. They would rather play politics instead of improving their competency because they're afraid people would see their weakness and would exploit it. Hey, JF, for your executive who said that won't work here, I think he might be too long in the game to understand the new world. He's stuck in the old world of structure and command and hard to change strong, fixed mindsets and personalities of those who think they know better especially if things work well to date. Do you agree? Oh, yes, I do agree. I think people can become too comfortable to change. There's a complacency that has set in. It's worked for me in the past. It's working so far. Why change? So they didn't feel the heat of the competition. But my question is, why wait for a disruptor, for example, like Blockbuster Netflix, to, in order to feel the heat? For the second example that I had, the resistance came from the board, not senior execs. So the execs were agile-minded, but their hands were tied by the board. And the board was driven by outcomes that may have been motivated by other reasons. So the board's direction was different than where the company wanted to go towards. And we ultimately failed in the end because we were trying to accomplish two divergent things. So Giles, Shital, care to comment some of the things we've brought up right now? Yeah, so I think past experiences, this is what a lot of organizations, a lot of people, not just at leadership level, but a lot of us, we depend on our past experience from a previous organization to support us in the new organization. And what's different is that, you know, it's not necessarily going to work with every organization is different at the end of the day. So it's not always going to be that your experience there is going to be relevant to the place you move to here. In fact, if anything, you should always come in with an open mind when you start a new position, blank canvas yourself, learn from what's going on and, you know, dig deep and really get to understand what it's really like to be a part of this new organization. I think it's like the whole idea. I mean, there's been a few places where you've got senior leadership, you've got them with 30 years 
of experience under their belt, 30 years of non-agile ways of working under their belt. That's all they know. And so with that in mind, that is a really hard change to make. Old habits die hard at the end of the day, you know, and it's got that lack of understanding. And it's like what you were saying one way where, you know, when there's no understanding there, the idea when you're at such a senior level to say, I don't know anything, it could be rather intimidating for somebody. So from example two, again, it's old ways of working. So continue and finish against the plan. And despite what the customers ask for, let's stick to our goals. Let's stick to our objectives. Let's go through our KPIs and actually work our ticker KPIs off one at a time. Unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. We're in a bit more of a fluid environment today where ways of working are changing and the expectations, your requirements are constantly evolving, constantly shifting. And it's down to the leader to actually change and shift and be more fluid in their way of thinking as well. Ironically, today, I just actually wrote an article about the fear of change, which I'll be happy to share with you as well, because I think there's a lot of information in there that kind of identifies the different characteristics as to why somebody would resist change. I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, it's actually interesting, tell what you said. I can totally relate. And I think people, especially executive management, they have this illusion of control. So they think that they have this control and they think that uh, this new way of working, they're giving up this control and they are definitely, you know, fear of what happened. That's actually what happened with the CEO that I was talking about. He thought this agile thing was a really nice stick to his rest of his executive staff team and basically said, I told you, you should do this. So he was very excited. That's why he was that excited. I found out later, of course. The rest of the executive staff team realizes, hey, you know what? If you want to use it as a stick to us, we can use it as a stick to you. And that's when he realizes, oh, I don't really like to change that. Oh, I don't want to move that. And uh, wait a minute, I'm the CEO. I'm the founder of the company. So if I'm going to do this, it seems like I don't have control anymore. I'm supposed to be founder. I should be able to tell you people what to do if I want to. And that's really what sort of stopped him and said, no, 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 that's not going to happen. And that's when he took it all back. So it's kind of sad that they didn't realize that there is actually a new way of management that, uh, first of all, they never really had control to begin with. They just thought they did. But if they actually would like to learn this new way, they actually would find out that they have more quote unquote control in a sense that the teams were more behind them and you would get the troops actually march behind you. And without you actually mandating, you have to do this. You know, thou shall do this. So yeah, it's a bit sad that way. Hey Giles, any comments? Well, yeah, look, I agree with you hundred percent, you know, and listening to the examples from the U S and the UK, it does seem that the majority of all of the examples that we've all sort of shared here show that the problems and the examples around that senior management are chasing somehow those, I don't know, politically motivated outcomes, power, status, empire building, ivory towerism, if you like. Chatel, I again 100% agree with the point that, you know, with these people who've been in this way of working for 30 years, they've actually got to unlearn in some ways what they have learned over those 30 years. I mean, there are many sort of YouTube videos about how to unwire the brain to do this type of activity. 
there's a very famous YouTube video where the guy who's obviously ridden a bike all of his life to the age of 30 or 40, whatever he is, actually has to buy a bike, which has been wired to pedal backwards to go forwards. And he has to unlearn and retrain his brain to actually do this. Now, of course, it actually takes him a very long time to actually complete this. But then actually afterwards, having a normal bike back, the unlearning and the relearning that he then has to do to learn how to pedal a bike forwards is actually a much shorter iteration. And I think if we can do this unlearning and learning and unlearning and learning throughout our careers, I think we're in a better position to actually adopt and adapt to change. Agile adoption failure stories are abundant. We've heard so many of them here today, especially in larger organizations. There are many vague reasons and lame excuses for this. Our culture doesn't support change initiatives. Our leadership won't adopt Agile. Our change order process can't integrate with the Agile processes, and so on, and so on, and so on. And yet there are other dysfunctions that we certainly can talk about at, uh, at another event. The things that I talk about often, you know, organizations wrongly claiming to be Agile, where Agile is just for the software teams only where Agile is disliked by that middle management command and control gang, the ones with the loudest voices, but actually zero authority. And ultimately, as we've heard here, where Agile is being constrained by bureaucracy. There's also another aspect to this in terms of, I've heard you all say that, you know, it's hard to change, especially if you've been doing something for years. But there's also another aspect that I've seen in startups. In one startup that I was in, when I was able to introduce good agile, we were delivering like crazy after about two and a half years. We would deliver and release at will. Hey, we want this thing. In two days, it was out the door. So we were releasing anywhere from two to three times a week. And so at some point though, what I noticed was we were releasing agile. And I noticed at least at this point, I was reporting to CEO as director of engineering, my CEO started to not include me in some of the meetings, partially because I was, you know, in some of these discussion and strategy meetings, I said, you want this thing. We have all these things we're doing today. We can't incorporate that, not unless we hire more people. So if you're not giving me more budget to hire people, my pipeline's very constricted. And so I said, what's dropping off the plate? because your engineering team is going to be taxed. At some point, I guess he didn't want to hear me say, quote, unquote, no in that manner by saying, well, if you want this, we need to descope something because we don't have enough bandwidth at this point. What he did was, in this case, relegate me to the side and basically have no teams reporting to me. And what he had instead was a COO that had said yes to everything. So immediately I just left after that. And unfortunately what happened after I left, it's that. No. Hey, there is also a very interesting point, specifically about speaking the senior executive language and that the challenge is that we are not speaking senior executive language and an agile coach is rapidly branded operational, meaning it's not relevant from a strategic perspective and and maybe having a secret executive weapon might help. It's an interesting perspective. This, does any of anyone actually here has a perspective on that? Otherwise, I'll jump in. No, please do. Please jump in on this. Yeah, so 
I absolutely agree with that. You do need to actually speak their senior executive language, otherwise, they are not doing what you're doing. So you're in the trenches, and they high level they understand what you're doing, but they're not experiencing it. Now, on the other hand, they have their own problems and challenges that they are facing, and that the people in the trenches are not facing. So. In order to be able to help them, you do need to understand what their challenges are and what their problems are. And if you can help them with their challenges and problems, all of them, one is good enough. That would actually build up a good sort of credibility. They said, "Oh, you can help me with one of my problems." All right. So, which is actually a real life example of one of my bosses, the executive vice president. She was like, "Oh, you can help me with one of my problems." All right. So, what are you yakking on about this agile thing? Tell me more. Maybe that thing. Maybe it will work. So what is it? What do I need to do? And、uh, what does the team need to do? So that's open up the dialogue to for them to even understand what it is. And so yes, you definitely need to understand the challenges and need to understand what the pressures that they are after. And after that, then you sort of build a bridge, sort of open the door, so that you know they will then are interested. Well, if you can help me with this, perhaps what you're saying has some merit. Let's hear it. So yeah, it's definitely true. However, I do have to caution though that again, it's depending on what they're after. If we were talking about the politically motivated outcomes that we talked about earlier, at some point, just like my CEO example, there will be something that they don't want change, and they will revert back, and they will just slam it down. I think we have one secret weapon that we can give to senior leadership because at the end of the day, when we're coming from a point where. We're running a business. We're running an organisation. We're responsible for many, many people. The key thing we really want to see is progress. And there's a Kanban technique. It's also been used in Safe as well. And that's all about metrics and performance measures. So if you, as a team, could come together and measure your end-to-end throughputs, your cycle times, or your lead times, that would be one powerful tool and one weapon that you could potentially share with your senior leadership. To keep them happy and sort of prove to them that look, this is where we were in the old world. To、so、capture that data and then present it and show the progress and communicate the progress. So I think inviting senior leadership to demonstrate your progress is one really powerful weapon that you could potentially use. Yeah, I do agree with that, but the language still has to change because、Numbers. at that、yeah. level, you don't need to talk Kanban or Scrum or whatever. All you need is to show and dis- have the discussions at that language of the senior exec team. In my case, I wasn't talking about Scrum or Kanban. I was talking about, look, here's all the efforts we're putting. We're releasing things every other day. We went from releasing once a quarter to every other day or at will, and that was showing a lot of progress. And our customers were loving it. However. What was problematic was we have a fixed budget, and if you want to do more, well, where's that coming out of the budget? Whether the budget is financial, or whether the budget is in terms of human labor, and trying to say, look, we want more stuff with the same people. At some point, there's going to be a collapse. You can't、yeah. do so. There's that. Yeah, and there is that disconnect in the financial world as well, because I think they're still thinking annual financial. Forecasting over agile financial forecasting. There's a really different way of looking at this as well. So yeah, it's an interesting point. Thanks, Jeff. That's it, folks. On our next episode, 
we will dive into the resistance coming from middle management. You don't want to miss it. Thank you so much for listening to our Agile Tales. Feel free to ping us on ouragiletales.com. <laughs>